When Mary and I were engaged, we had a small window of time when the lease of my apartment had ended, but we weren't married yet. There was about a three-month gap when Mary had moved into our new apartment that we were going to both live in when we were married, where I had moved all my stuff into that apartment as well, but we had to figure out that either we were going to live together or I had to figure out somewhere else to stay. Well, my pastor at the time offered me a room in his church housing, his parsonage where he and his family lived. And so I had an option that I loved and I wanted to take advantage of. I stayed in one of the rooms in the basement in the parsonage. Well, part of this story is that my pastor was a dreaded Red Sox fan. And I was, of course, a proud Yankees fan. Well, every evening that I came into their house to go down to my bed in the room that I was staying in, on the stairwell that was, that was going down, there was hanging a Red Sox jersey that I had to pass before I could go down the stairs. So uh, in the morning, when I would get up and I would leave the house, I would take down the Red Sox jersey and put up a Yankees one. Then during the day before I came down again, he would put up the Red Sox jersey, he would put it back up and, and take down my Yankees one. And, and this was sort of our routine. And, and for us, it was all fun for, for, for us as we, as we did this, but I have seen many people allow their sports affiliations to be a dividing line in their relationship. Sports can be something that unites us or divides us. But sports are not the only things that do this. One of the hot-button dividing lines we see right now is our approach to wearing masks. Whether you do or you don't wear a mask, we see how this has divided us into these two groups, right? On one side, we have people who wear them because they don't see the big deal of making a small sacrifice for their fellow brother or sister, and they are willing to do it, and they believe that the science that they're hearing says that it does limit the spread, while on the other side, we have people who feel that this is an infringement upon their freedom. And they're listening to other science that says it does not limit the spread. And, and quite honestly, it's, it's pointless. It can be very easy for us to allow this issue, among many others, to divide our country and our churches. There have been lots of things that have tried to divide the church over the years. Think about it, right? Whether we are talking about pews or no pews or hymns or contemporary music, no hats on men but hats on women, suits or no suits, hymn books or screens, I mean, you name it and the church has probably argued over it and allowed it to divide the body at one point or the other. In our text today, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church about the subject of unity and maturity. We will see a progression in this passage that brings us to the point that even though we have the triune God in our life, we have spiritual immaturity until we do the hard work to create unity within the church. So we're going to look at this progression in our text to see what the solution to this point is. So our text today comes from the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. Reading in Jesus' name, it says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What Paul begins to do here is to lay out the fundamental aspects of what it means to be a Christian and to literally walk the walk. What he lays out for us is that we are called to be humble, gentle, patient, and to bear with one another. He emphasizes that by saying that there is one body, one spirit, and one Lord, that we have life in the triune God. You see, what makes you a Christian is not any moral code or ethic, but that you have God in you. It's not about being nice people It's about being new people. I mean, you were once asleep and now you have been awakened. Have you ever been oblivious to something where it seemed like others understood you, but but you didn't, or that you completely missed it? You know, there are times when we need to be awoken to the reality around us. For example, there are uh, funny posts online that say, I was today years old when I learned this. I don't know if you've seen them on, online. I, I've, I've loved them and they give me a great chuckle. Well, a couple of them have definitely been true for me. Uh, and so I want to I name a couple for you here. So I was today years old when I learned that a screwdriver's handle is shaped the way it is so that a wrench can fit around it so that you can get more torque when you're trying to, to pull something, right? I mean, like, mind blown right now. I seriously was today years old when I learned that. I was also today years old when I learned that juice boxes have these sides that can become handles so that little kids who squeeze the box can hold it without making a big mess. I was today years old when I learned that the hole in a pasta spoon is a way to measure one serving size of pasta. And maybe, maybe you were today years old when you truly sensed the pain that others around you were feeling with everything that has happened in our country in the last two weeks. Maybe you were today years old when you were awoken to their deep hurt and their fears and you sought to understand 
When we are awoken to things that we did not see before, it gives us an awareness that we were lacking. See, God's law works in a similar similar way. The law is there to give us a standard to which we are called to live. See, the law shows us our sin and, and where we are broken. It's like a speed limit sign that shows me that I am violating the law when I go 65 and a 55. I mean, it's not as though I wasn't in violation before that, but the sign let me know that I was in violation. You see, it awakened me to what I was blind to. This has been a couple heavy weeks for our country and, and, and even our doorsteps. There has been thing after thing happening that has attempted to divide us. I mean, how to reopen, or even if we should be reopening as businesses or as churches, has been one that has been a sticking point. Now, it's easy making decisions for myself, but it becomes a lot harder when I'm making it for other people. You know, the leaders of our church talked about the fact that we were going to make some people unhappy no matter what we did when it came to reopening. I mean, either there would be some that felt that this was premature, while others felt like, you know what, finally you made the easy decision and opened your doors. You know, we know there is a lot that divides us in our country, but it's not as though we are immune to it in the church. But it is our unity that has deep significance to not only ourselves, but to the outside world. As the church, without attaining unity, we prevent others from knowing God. I mean, we stymie God's work. Paul, in our, our text, he wants to talk about unity here. And so the first thing we are told about in our passage is that we are called to live a life worthy of our calling. The virtues that Paul lists in, in, cha- in verse 2 of chapter 4, uh, which are, are humility and gentleness, patience and, and loving tolerance, they might not be the list that we, we would think of to describe a life worthy of God's calling. But this is exactly what is needed. And I, I would like to look briefly at each of them to see why. Now, when it comes to humility, we should recognize that, that around every turn of the Christian faith, there is an assault on our self-seeking. Our faith constantly tells us that we are not the center and that God is. And so we see that in this virtue. Second one we see when when it comes to gentleness, we have to be able to see how we are presenting ourselves to others. Now, if we are coming off hostile that nobody wants to be around or talk to, then we need to look in the mirror. I mean, even if we are right, that might just make us repulsively right. And so we see that as a virtue. The, the next one we see is gentleness. Gentleness conveys a value of the other person. You have to be able to, to be gentle towards them so that you communicate the value that they have. Being patient is also not easy. In order to have patience, some have said, we, we must renounce the tyranny of our own agendas. But the idea that we should not have to wait on anything or, or anyone is merely another form of self-centeredness. Now, lastly, out of the virtues, we are called to bear with one another in love. It's been said, be careful of standing on your rights 
for then God might stand on his. Love should be a powerful force that drives us to being unified with each other. We must be willing to forego rights at moments for the sake of others. We have gotten a big taste of that over the last few months, haven't we? I mean, some of us are still willing to forego some of, some of our freedoms, and, and other of us are just like, we're crying uncle right now. We're just like, I am done with all of this. You know, some, some have done that due to, you know, their own interests, while others are afraid that, you know, taking away freedom can become a slippery slope, and, and we have to protect that, which is 100% true. But are we willing to allow these things that have come up be the things that divide us? If someone has a different perspective from you, can we not put that aside and see the person in whom God created behind it? For real here, there are some of you that actually like me and call me your friend. You are friends with a Yankees fan. Honestly, that's a hard pill to swallow. I'm actually kind of disappointed in some of you a little bit. Your standards are kind of in question, I'll tell you what. But for real, I'm honestly thankful that the rest of the body of Christ isn't exactly like me. I'm a better man and a better husband and a better pastor when I am shaped by people who are different than me. Differences shouldn't divide us, but they should make us stronger. And so Paul begins our text by laying out what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling and then progresses in our text to next talking about gifts in the church and how the purpose of them is for ministry to be built up into the church until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. What we do in the church and how we serve, it should be about preparing and striving for spiritual maturity. If we look further down in our text to verse 14, we see that the reason that we need the church is because we don't. We, we will remain, if we don't have the church, we will remain spiritual infants. Um, as a side note to all of this, I, I find it amazing here that, that Paul is actually talking about himself even when he talks about spiritual immaturity. I mean, he's an apostle, apostle and he's giving himself that label. Now, now, spiritual infants are those that get tossed back and forth by every teaching. They don't have the ability to discern which teaching is good and what teaching is false. Spiritual infants are also self-centered, like we mentioned before. I mean, they think about what they want and literally only what they want. Now, this might be because I am the youngest child and I always had older friends but I have spent most of my life wanting to be older, which is, which is funny because now all I want is to be younger. We always hear people reminiscing about the good old days and how it would be great to be young again. But I have never had anyone say that and for them to be talking about being an infant. I mean, no one says, right, like, man, I wish I could turn back the clock and be an infant again. 
I mean, when you're an infant, you are completely reliant on, on everyone around you to give you the things you want. And you have no way of asking for them, right? I mean, infants not only are that, but they're also not steady people. They, they have short attention spans and go from laughing to crying to complete meltdown in what it seems like almost the same thought. So although spiritual infants are alive in Christ, no one wants to remain a spiritual infant. We are called to know God's word so that we can discern good teaching. And we are called to have a long obedience in the same direction, enduring the difficulty along the way. And we should be finding infinite joy out of our salvation. We, we live in a culture that just screams, what have you done for me lately? When kids challenge their parents or, or seem ungrateful because they feel like they haven't received anything because they haven't received anything lately, make some parents feel like saying, and, and maybe some of you have said this, I, I know I have heard this from my mom, you know what I have given you? Life. How about that? I birthed you. How about not raising your voice at me saying I never give you anything when I have literally given you my waistline? Okay, that might be really close to home for some of us. But as Christians, we should have infinite joy out of our salvation and our new life in Christ. That we are saved by grace regardless of what else God does because that in and of itself is amazing. So as we move from spiritual infanthood to maturity, one of the ways that happens is by speaking the truth in love to each other and to have that spoken over us. We need to have concern over true doctrine and love for one another. They are not alternatives, but instead they belong together. We need absolute honesty, but honesty with the goodwill of love. Love without truth is deadly. See, we need to help awaken each other to what each of us are blind to, but we need to do it through the lens of love. We are sometimes oblivious to things. I mean, this has been a season for us as, as preachers moving on to an online service, and as I have watched the services where I preached, um, there have been moments where I have felt like, man, there must have been like something wrong with my voice that day. And so I like kind of like incognito asked Mary, right? Like if she thought that I sounded different and, and her response was, no, you just, you sound like you always do. And I was like, oh man, I really sound like that. I mean, like total truth bomb going off. Speaking the truth in love is, is really about us having a way that we are able to hear ourselves from outside ears. Now here's the thing though. No matter how much we try to reach this balance of having both of those, we are incapable of keeping them together. And the reason that is, is because of our selfishness and ultimately our sin. We will lean to one side of that spectrum because that is who we are. And so through all of this, I, I think it begs to ask the question, what, what's the solution I mean, how do we become united despite our differences, our different opinions, experiences, and, and, and through even our own sin? Well, the solution is found in the continued work of the gospel in our life. 
Now, I know that that sounds like, well, of course, that's what you're going to say, Pastor. But the gospel does both truth and love perfectly. What's amazing is the gospel is the most insulting thing we can say to someone, and it's the most loving thing we can say to someone. It's the most insulting because it tells you, and it tells that person you're saying it to, that they are a sinner or you are a sinner, that they are lost on their own, that they have an inability to fix their own situation. I mean, that's the truth, and, and that's the gospel. But the gospel is also the most loving thing someone can say to you. It's the most loving thing because Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. That God, who was perfect, came down from perfection into our incredibly broken, broken world to give himself up for our ransom. We have to come before that truth and, and let it reign over us and in our lives. Where we can look at each other and see someone else who is in just as much desperate need for a Savior and who is equally loved by that same Savior, then we are able to move towards achieving that unity. We are one body, and although different, are better together. In Jesus' prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, he prays for believers to his Father. In verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let us be united together so that Christ may be known. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you just for... Um, Lord, speaking your truth and your gospel. Father, we are thankful that the gospel is the most insulting and the most loving thing that we can ever hear. Lord, we need to be hit in the face with our sin, with our brokenness. And we also need to hear of the wonderful invitation that you give us, the good news, the unmerited favor that, that, that we don't deserve and that you have given freely because of your deep love and your sacrifice and your resurrection for us. Father, we are, are hit with that today. We thank you for uniting uh, us through your, through your body and through your blood. Thank you that we could celebrate that last week during communion. And, and Lord, that even uh, some of us are even gathering um, here today. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you're working in and through us. And, and Lord, we ask you for continually speak your prophetic voice into our world. We give this and we pray this in your name. Amen.